Lord, help us hear the songs that celebrated your birth, hear the familiar stories with fresh wonder and worship. In Christ's name I pray, amen. There's an old saying in our country that familiarity breeds contempt, that you eventually take for granted, aren't impressed by things simply because they're familiar. It's not that they're no longer wonderful or satisfying or good. They're just familiar. You're used to them. Christmas always runs that risk. Many people dread it. I was telling one of our deacons who was helping me get ready for baptism, I learned many years ago as a pastor how hard December is for so many people. Everything, it seems, gets harder for some of us this time of year. My prayer is that I can tell you the familiar story and you can hear it afresh. That you can stand with Mary and Joseph in the temple complex Jesus is just a few weeks old, and they've brought him as righteous people who are living under the law of Moses and observing everything that the Word of God in their time told them to do. They're doing it, all of it. They're doing it for themselves. They're doing it for their son. They're doing it for Jesus. Look with me in Luke chapter 2. You'll see what I mean. Luke chapter 2, verse 22. It says, when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And they came to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And in 2019, the average American Bible reader is immediately lost at sea. We don't really know much of what that means. Let me explain it to you. In the law, you can read this, for instance, in the book of Leviticus. You can read that God had set rules aside for people that marked their entire life. The whole point of the law was to remind them that God was holy. That he had to be approached on his terms, not theirs. Probably one of the great misunderstandings that people have about God is that they can come to God in any terms they please. It's a funny thing to believe about God because we don't think that about other human beings. You wouldn't expect to show up at the governor's mansion and expect to be allowed in just because you arrived. You wouldn't expect to be able to meet certain people or go certain places simply because you wanted to. God is accessible, don't get me wrong. God is so accessible that Jesus will be called Emmanuel, God with us. That's how close, that's how accessible God is. But make no mistake, He must always be approached on His terms. The miracle of Christmas is that the terms are so wonderful and so sacrificial. Since we will not come to Him, He will come to us. But on this day, Mary and Joseph are, rem are in remembrance of the law. 
and they are coming to offer simple sacrifices, simple offerings, to remind Mary of her need of forgiveness of sins. That was her part of the purification. Or she would be allowed ceremonially to rejoin temple worship. And also to dedicate Jesus to the Lord because He was the firstborn. It was an ordinary day, though a holy day. Thousands and thousands and thousands of families had come to this same place to make this same offering, or perhaps a slightly better one, because we read that in this case, the sacrifice, the offering, was a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons, and that tells you that Mary and Joseph were poor. An allowance had been made in the law. A better offering was required first, but if you couldn't afford it, the law said this would be enough. Verse 25, now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. In other words, this is a man in tune and in step with God. He's in synagogue every Saturday. He's hearing the reading of the law and the prophets. And he's looking forward to what Luke calls the consolation of Israel. In other words, he knows that the presence of the Romans in Israel is not right. He sees the wickedness in his own nation and knows that his people are far from God, and he's waiting for comfort. He's waiting for forgiveness, and Luke tells us the Holy Spirit was upon him. Simeon, we wouldn't know him if it were not for this story. But he plays a small but extraordinary part in the birth of Jesus and the days around it because it says it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. In other words, Simeon got up every day wondering if today was the day. He could read in the prophet Isaiah, and I'll show it to you in a few minutes, that God had promised a comforter, a savior, a redeemer. And Simeon knew from revelation of God himself that he would not die himself until he had seen that salvation for himself. Verse 27, he came, into the, he came in the Spirit, in other words, directed by the Holy Spirit, he came into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God. Now, how many of you uh, ladies who are present have had a child? See all the moms? How willing were you to surrender the child to someone who walked up a few weeks after the baby was born? <laughs> Already, this is a different kind of story. And Simeon, who I don't believe, there's no reason to believe he knew Mary and Joseph. They're from Nazareth. They've had to go to Bethlehem. Jesus was born from their point of view, I'm sure, in an un untimely way making things even a difficult situation, even more difficult than they would have wished. But they've done their best. They've covered him in swaddling cloths on that first night. They've cared for him these first few weeks of their life, and then they've made a short trip five or six miles from Bethlehem to Jerusalem. Just a few miles, but maybe not such a short distance if you've just given birth 
to your firstborn son. Maybe not such an easy trip if you're just a carpenter's son yourself and poor. And now they're in the temple complex doing this ordinary but holy thing that so many people have done before them, and now Simeon is beside them. And somehow they understood that what this man had to say mattered and that it was okay for him to take their son in his arms. And Simeon looked up and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Let me share with you Simeon's song and explain to you what it tells us about salvation. Here's the first thing. God's salvation is personal. It's Jesus alone and it's Jesus alone who can save. Look at verse 29. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. This is worth underlining if you don't have it underlined in your Bible. For my eyes have seen your salvation. Bible study question. When Simeon says, my eyes have seen your salvation, who or what is he referring to? He's referring to Jesus. He has this baby boy just a few weeks old in his arms and says, God, now you can let me go. You ever heard someone say, now I can die happy? I've said it a few times. You may have noticed the men in our family enjoy food, the father of the family in particular. And usually after Thanksgiving, I'll make some ridiculous pronouncement like, now I can die happy. I don't mean it as I'm looking forward to leftovers. <laughs> but Simeon, Simeon is serious. I don't know when in his life, Luke's storytelling is so lean, it's so quick, I wish he could tell us so much more. Simeon has, for some time, known that the Comforter, the Savior, the Redeemer of Israel and the world is coming, and He's coming in His lifetime. And God has given him a word of comfort and peace. You won't die until you see my salvation. And when Simeon takes Jesus in his arms and looks into the eyes of a baby boy just a few weeks old, he says, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. And I seldom drag Greek into the sermon, but this English translation misses a little bit of the intensity of how Luke wrote it, because the way Luke wrote in Greek, he tries to make it very clear, Simeon says in the beginning of his statement, Luke writes, now. It's right now. This is happening right here, right now, right in front of me. Lord, I am your slave, and now you, the sovereign, the God who is in charge of everything, you can take me home because you have kept your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. The salvation of God is personal, and you can trust it, and you can be sure of it because Simeon is telling you that God put the promise in writing 
and he kept his promise in public. That's the most extraordinary thing about the life of Jesus. It's lived out in public. Please understand this. Simeon is not singing about a better way of life. He's not presenting Jesus as some kind of glorified life hack, as Jesus is so often presented in the contemporary church on this side of the world, where life is so good that some preachers have presented Jesus as just a person who can make life better. No. Simeon says, this is your salvation. Your salvation has human form. Your salvation is this little boy. And you've put this promise in writing. You've given me a word and you've kept this promise as a light of revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. It's all here. The virgin birth of Jesus, the excruciating nature of his death, how he would die, who he would die with, the price of Judas' betrayal, the kind of burial he would receive, it's all in writing. 700 years and a thousand years before it happened, God put it in writing so that the world then and now could look back into what God put in writing and be sure. In fact, I'll I'll show you. I want to show you what Simeon had in mind as he sang this. Look in Isaiah, please. Hold your place in Luke. But look with me in Isaiah 42. For those of you who like to know these sorts of things, Bible students call this one of the servant songs. Isaiah wrote this 700 years before the birth of Christ. And he is singing and writing prophetically of the nature and the person of Jesus. It's in God's voice. God is speaking of his own son. Isaiah 42. Behold my servant whom I uphold. My chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. What does verse 3 mean? A bruised reed he will not break, a faintly burning wick he will not quench. It's poetic. It's a word picture. And you saw a picture of it this morning just now in baptism. Because you saw two men, their testimony, I'm telling this with their permission, actually with their encouragement. You saw two men in the baptismal tank, one baptizing, the other being baptized with one similar terrible story. They were both once addicted not only to alcohol but to heroin. So you've witnessed a miracle. So when Isaiah says that Jesus is the kind of man who will not break a bruised reed or he will not take a faintly burning wench and extinguish it or quench it, he's trying to paint a word picture. He's saying that Jesus is the kind of Savior who comes to people who are broken and hanging by a thread. They're like little reeds that have been broken off and shattered but not completely severed. Or like little wicks that are just 
barely still ignited, just with the last gasp of smoke rising from them. Jesus is not the kind of servant who comes to finish people off. He comes to lift them up, to save them, to redeem them, to forgive them, to give them new life. And that's what you witnessed this morning in the baptism in this service. That two men were broken almost beyond repair, whose lives were almost extinguished by any statistical measure. Their lives are already over. But then Jesus comes and everything's different. That's the kind of servant that Jesus is. That's what Simeon is singing about. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. Thus says God, the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. Listen, here's Simeon's verse. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for whom? For the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison of those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord. That is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare before they spring forth. I tell you of them. That's our God. He makes promises, he puts them in writing, he keeps them in public. That's how we can be sure that Jesus is the Savior. But that's not all he says. Go back to Luke chapter 2. It says, his father and mother marveled at what was said about him. It's been around for so long, I'm sure you've heard it. Mary, did you know? Everybody familiar with that song? Well, here's the answer. Twice, Luke tells us about what was going on in Mary's heart. This is one of those times. Did she know? Yes. But she couldn't grasp it. She couldn't fathom it. How could she? What could have prepared an ordinary Jewish girl who's going to marry the town carpenter in a town of no particular importance and know from the front side that they're likely both set on a course of a life of poverty where good work is done. Reliable, honest, solid, dependable things are made by Joseph and by his young son who's serving as his apprentice, Jesus. But it's just an ordinary life, and a life you would not know of at all if it had not been Jesus himself who was born there. What on earth, what in her life could have prepared her to hear a stranger sing and speak and quote Isaiah and say, he's the one. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many of Israel and for a sign that is opposed. That's the second thing Simeon's song tells me. God's salvation is divisive. It's Jesus and Jesus alone that brings it. But the name of Jesus and the salvation he personally offers is divisive. Jesus is going to be, even in this story, he's going to be both praised and opposed. Look, please, in verse 34. 
This child is appointed for the fall and the rising of many of Israel and for a sign that is opposed. In other words, Jesus, the birth of Jesus, the Son of God on earth, is God's greatest sign. God had done many miracles pointing forward to this day. Israel banked their very existence on their liberation from Israel, but now God's greatest sign, the arrival of His Son on earth, is going to physically take place, going to be so real, so ordinary, so human, that a man can hold a baby in his hands and say, I'm looking at the salvation of God. And that sign is not going to be celebrated by everybody. It's going to be opposed Some in Israel will hear this word, hear of Jesus, and they will oppose Him and stumble and fall over Him. Others will praise Him and rise with Him. And here's what it means to us. Nothing has changed, so we shouldn't be discouraged. Some Christians grow really quiet and really timid because not everybody loves Jesus. That's the way it's always been. A mark of discipleship is you have an allegiance to Jesus that is greater than any allegiance you have to anyone on earth, and not everyone will go with you. Some will look at Jesus and consider Him and reject Him. Others will say that you've believed a lie or a myth or a fable. That's the way it has always been. Don't be discouraged by it. Verse 35 A sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. There was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin. And then as a widow, until she was 84. That's a complicated way of telling you that this little family was joined by yet another stranger. A woman named Anna who had been married for seven years and then widowed. And now she's 84 years old. She did not depart from the temple worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak to Him of all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Here in the very moment, Jesus is presented to the Lord what Simeon just said is happening. Anna is receiving the Lord with gratitude and with praise, and she's beginning to thank God and tell everyone around the temple about Him. And then it just gets really ordinary, very human again, the last two verses of the story. When they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own town of Nazareth, and the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. In other words, they went back home, and Jesus was raised famously in Nazareth as an ordinary man. How ordinary? Did you notice verse 35? Did you hear what Simeon said to Mary? A sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. What a disquieting thing to say to a mother. This is not a very good lullaby. Even as he holds him in his arms and says, Now, God, I'm ready to go home. 
You can take your servant on because I've seen your salvation. You've done this publicly. This is actually going to show you to all the Gentiles, it's going to always be the glory of Israel that your Savior was born from among us. And then he turns to Mary, who's marveling that all of this is being said of her little son, who still can't speak, who still depends on her for mother's milk, who can't clothe himself, who does not say a word yet with good sense, who cannot yet call her mama. All of this is going to be true of this little baby boy. And Simeon says to her, a sword will run through your own soul. What did he mean? Well, Luke only hints at it in the story here. Jesus is going to go home and live as an ordinary boy. In fact, it says in Luke 2.52, Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. That's one of the most mind-blowing facts of Bible teaching. Let me explain it to you this way by asking you a question. When Jesus was in the manger, do you believe he was pretending to be a baby? Is Jesus in the manger, the Son of God, eternal God, the Word became flesh, that's how John explains it, looking up in the manger saying, what a marvelous galaxy I made here. The stars are just where I put them. Everything is proceeding according to plan. No. The truth is much stranger and much more marvelous. The eternal Son of God was born of human flesh, took on a human nature. The Word became flesh, John says. The Word that was with God in the beginning, the Word who is God from the very beginning, the Word who made the whole world without whom nothing that exists was made, that same Word became flesh. And he's such an ordinary boy that he needs swaddling cloth wrapped around his body. He needs protection and care that first night or he will humanly die right there in the manger. Had Mary and Joseph adopted the practices of the Romans around them and not wanting this child to abandon him, he would have died because he's an ordinary boy, so much so that he grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom. He increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. In other words, he's growing as every one of us has grown. And because he's human, because he is the Son of God, who has also become an ordinary man, what Simeon is telling you at the end of his song is that the salvation of God is not only personal and divisive, it's also enormously costly because Jesus is going to obey his Father all the way to the cross. Luke actually goes out of his way to explicitly tell you that Jesus did what no child before or since has ever done. He went home and submitted to his parents. He obeyed his parents perfectly. Why did Jesus obey his parents perfectly? Because no boy or girl ever has. Because one of the Ten Commandments is that we should honor and obey our parents, and we don't. That's just the very first expression of rebellion, of the sin that stains and ruins and kills us all. It comes out early, you may have noticed. And Jesus walked through all of that in ordinary, perfect humanity. 
the Son of God, also the Son of Man, and He is going to obey God all the way to the cross, and it's going to cost Jesus His life. And, Simeon says, it's going to cause Mary immense pain. Because on the night He is betrayed, His disciples will run to save their lives. Very few of them apparently will be close enough to witness His death on the cross. But Mary will be there. And there's more pain on the side of the Son of God, Jesus Christ, and more pain on the side of His mother than I can actually imagine. Because she has watched this boy grow. She took him on her breast the night he was born and cradled him the way mothers always do when they receive their, their child safely born into the world. She had watched him get stronger. She had watched him learn geometry and understand carpentry. She had watched him work with tools, and I wonder if she had ever said, as mothers often do, my, you've gotten big and strong. You know, don't tell your dad I said this, but I think you're actually a little better in the shop than he is now. <laughs> An ordinary human life, but sinless, perfect, to lay that life down in our place. It's costly. This is why we've celebrated communion. This is what your salvation cost. What Simeon is telling us is simply this. Jesus reveals God's salvation. And he also reveals the reality of every human heart. And the question from the song for all of us is this. What are you going to do with Jesus? My invitation to you as a Christian is that you will worship him with new light. With new appreciation. That if you have the fortune of being close to people who love you this Christmas, you look around the table, you look around that tree and see those you love that are close to you and thank Him because He was willing to leave glory, be born into an ordinary human family who needed salvation from Him themselves, take on a perfect human nature, face every temptation that every one of us faced with this saving difference. He faced it and triumphed over it without sin. So that thousands of years later, in the presence of all the nations, anyone, Jew or Gentile, who trust Him can be saved. Let's thank Him. Let's pray. Christians, I want to give you a moment just to thank the Lord. He came for you. He did this for you. It was all for your sake, for ours. And if you haven't given your life to Christ, listen. I've tried to tell you as best I can, no one else can save you. You know sin and failure and brokenness are real. You've failed God and offended God and others just as I have your whole life. Jesus is the only one who can deal with that. Only He can save you. Don't let this Christmas pass as another traditional celebration without trusting Him. 
let me invite you personally in the name of Jesus to turn to him and tell him, I believe. I believe you. I believe I've sinned. I know I'm a sinner. I'm in need of a Savior. Please save me. It cost him his life to offer you eternal life. Please take it in the name of Jesus. And if you do, my invitation to you is to find the card in your bulletin. Fill it out. There's boxes at every exit. Just leave it for us as you go. We'd love to pray for you. Provide you material, Bible, whatever you need so that you can follow Jesus the rest of your life. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for the miracle of your eternal life. And thank you for the miracle of your incarnation that you came among us to be welcomed with songs by angels and eventually the rejection of people put you on a cross put you to death, all so that we could live. Help us live gratefully, generously, lovingly, because you have found us and saved us. In Jesus' name, Crosspoint said, amen. amen.